This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of The Joy Challenge. Discover the ancient secret to experiencing worry-defeating, circumstance-defying happiness. Written by pastor and best-selling author Randy Frazee and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. I know that the beliefs that you have and how you're choosing to action those beliefs is from a pure heart and you want to help people and you're acting on your Christian beliefs. So then I step back and go, okay, well, but we ended up in a completely different area. And at a certain point in time, like I was going to arrest you like right. that much of a different yeah. area, right? Yeah, yeah. So how did we start I was hoping out? to get arrested. What do you I mean? Know. Hey everybody, welcome to The Calling. My name is Richard Clark. I am an editor at Christianity Today. Today's episode of The Calling is actually uh, pretty unique. We're going to, instead of me sitting down and talking to one person about their calling, we have a conversation uh, without me between two people who are uh, sort of like strange bedfellows, I guess you'd say. Like they're, they're people who you wouldn't expect to be friends, to be acquaintances. And, uh, and they talk about, they sort of like tackle these issues that they disagree on uh, pretty head on. I found it really fascinating. Um, one of the guys' name is Jamie Gates. He's the, director of the, he's the director of the Center for Justice and Reconciliation and a professor at Point Loma Nazarene University. Uh, he is talking to Rodney Scott, the chief patrol agent for U.S. Border Patrol, El Centro Sector. The conversation you're about to hear is really unique. Uh, something I don't think I've seen a lot of anywhere else. And it's an example of um, the kind of bridge building that a lot of people like to talk about, um, but you rarely get to see play out, um, at, especially in a public forum. And so I was really grateful for that. Uh, to help me introduce this conversation, I have uh, the two people who sort of helped us pull this off, John Huckins and J Jer Swigart. Uh, John and Jer, thanks so much for joining us on The Calling. You bet. Honored to be here. Great to be here, Richard. Yeah, so you guys have written a book called Mending the Divides, Creative Love in a Conflicted World. And it is about the kind of thing that I think this podcast is devoted to. Can you tell us a little bit about like what you're, what you're about and uh, what you sort of spend your time doing? Yeah, the, the book itself is really, um, it's written out of the work that we do. And we're a peacemaking training organization that, um, that's really focused on uh, the, the U.S.-based Christian church. And, um, and we want to see the church understand uh, how to live its faith in ways that causes broken things to get fixed in the world. And so, um, and, and so Mending the Divides is really the, uh, the very best of our message. Uh, and it's designed to teach people how it is that we, as, uh, as people of faith, show up into the points of pain and conflict and injustice in our world with the tools to transform. And so, uh, so the message of the book itself uh, is it seems to be a an important one in the time that we we live in right now, where you know if if there's one thing that's very very clear, it's that w the world is more divided today than it than it's been in uh, perhaps in in our lifetime, mm. and uh, and there are a lot of people of faith, primarily American Christians, who are looking at uh, the fractures in our world within the walls of their own churches, in their own homes, in their neighborhoods, mm -hmm. and asking the question, how does my faith intersect with this in a way that 
causes restoration to spring to life. And so Mending the Divides, uh, the book itself is seeking to answer that question. So John, uh, I, I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about the people that, that are on this podcast. If you could just talk a little about who they are, Jamie and Rodney in particular, and why it is so striking that they are talking to us. Yeah, I mean, they're both um, definitely unlikely partners, as you described. You know, Jamie Gates is um, a professor, as you mentioned, and pastor there, uh, Rodney with the Border Patrol, they're both in part of the Nazarene denomination. And so um, what's unique is in regards to immigration specifically in the border reality that exists down here between San Diego and Tijuana, where I live, um, there are often a, a set of binaries that divide people. You are us or you are them. You are left or you're right. You're good or you're bad. And it inhibits us from actually seeing the humanity, the dignity, the image of God in the other. And, and honestly, it paralyzes us from joining God in mending the divides of our world, and specifically this issue down here on the bottom, uh, or on the on the bottom of our country, northern part of Mexico, and so these two, you know, one border patrol, one faith leader professor, um, whose whose theology has led him to to stand with and among the migrant community specifically, mm-hmm. um, they see very differently on this issue. Yet, in their difference, they say um, they they find a common call to to lean into their convictions. And to create constructive discourse, honestly, in a in a world in a country that's so polarized right now, they model to us what constructive discourse can look like and should look like, and really the opportunity of of these uncommon friendships and partnerships that exist when we lean towards our differences. Yeah, one of the things that I loved about this interview was um, I think that our opening quote on this podcast will be sort of a reference to the time he almost arrested <laughs> Jamie. Yeah, the, that's right. Jamie, Rodney almost arrested Jamie. And throughout the, especially in the first part of the interview, what's funny, what what, what I thought was funny was that Rodney uh, consistently refers to like the crazies. Um, yeah, and, yeah. Ro- and Jamie at one point goes like, you're talking about me. Like I was there. I was, I was <laughs> one of those crazies. Like that, um, th- one of the things I've just become in- increasingly convinced of Um over the last year uh, or so is that these uh, it is really easy to label people and also just mm. to um, to make assumptions about people without the face-to-face interactions and that is why I really love what you guys are doing and what what we were able to do here which is just like not just like I, I it sounds like this is a conversation that has been in progress for a long time like these guys were talking to each other I suspect that is something that happens all over the place. And we were able to like sit in on that, which is, I think the rare thing here. So it was a really encouraging thing. And I appreciate you guys helping us put that together. I feel like, I feel like what the world needs right now is, is more stories like these coming out. Cause you're absolutely right, Richard. There, mm. there are myriad stories of unlikely friendships, uncommon partnerships, unlikely collaborations that are forming uh, everywhere. And, uh, and, and for, for you all to give, uh, give light to these stories is, is huge, and and what what I think is really important about this particular story is it exposes how intentional displacement and the power of friendship actually transform people's theology. They transform the practice, and, and you know it really gives uh, it, it highlights the need in our world for us to develop these kinds of friendships that actually move beyond the borders and the traditions and the boundaries and even the documentation statuses that have divided us. Yeah, and and I'll add just one last thing. You know, it it. 
it not only can heal the the wounds that exist around immigration on the border, it actually strengthens the collective witness of the church. Imagine a world that actually sees the church sitting around tables with people who think and look and believe differently than they do and saying it's our faith that actually informs these kinds of relationships. That's great. Thanks so much. Um, the book is Mending the Divides. That book is available right now if you want to go out and get it. Here's the conversation with Jamie Gates, director of the Center for Justice and Reconciliation and professor at Point Loma Nazarene University, and Rodney Scott, chief patrol agent for the U.S. Border Patrol in the El Centro sector. Wow, how did we meet, Rod? I think you were watching me before I was watching you, right? I think you're right. I was watching you before you were watching me. So from my perspective, and I can actually kind of remember remember it like it was yesterday, mm-hmm. so Borderfield State Park, which is the most southern, southwestern tip of the continental yeah, United States. Yeah, where the border right? runs right out into the ocean. Where right? the border runs out into the ocean. Uh, 2008 time period, we decided that uh, we needed to improve some infrastructure in that area for border security. We're putting in a secondary border fence, which meant we had to restrict, when I say we, the U.S. government, Border Patrol, had to restrict access to that area. And I was sitting up on the hill at the request of my boss. The, I was an assistant chief then. And the chief of the sector had asked me to kind of go out there because these protests against the fence were kind of getting out of hand. Uh, different factions were starting to show up. At first, it was just a small group from our perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, of course, any issue like this brings out what I tend to call the crazies on both sides. And we had both types of protesters out there. So I'm sitting up on the hill watching a situation and I just didn't really like like what I saw. So we're trying to figure out how do we put this back? How do we start conversations? How do we have dialogue, not protest? But then Monday morning I was reading a bunch of the incident reports, some of the people we detained, and, and I was, for the first time in my career in a while, kind of shocked. I saw all these students from Point Loma Nazarene University. Right. Did you not see the bus with the Point Loma Nazarene University no, on the side of it? No, I was up on it? the hill, and that had gotcha. parked in a different location. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm going through this, and I go to church on the campus right. for Point Loma Nazarene University. I was born and raised Nazarene, and so mm-hmm. I decided to dig into that a little bit deeper, and that's when I found out that Jamie Gates was a professor at Point Loma Nazarene University, and and was on that beach. <laughs> I was on that beach and helped to coordinate the students that came down and the faculty and staff. That was in 08 and 09, uh, I think, yeah. is when you all decided that uh, we could no longer come right up to the fence. They were about to construct the, the, the wall. When you talk about wall and fence and which is it, you know, along the way here. Um, and um, I remember uh, it was in February of 09 when the day came when it was time to we were no longer allowed to serve communion through the fence, for example. And that day, it was a particularly large group. Um, and uh, I think we had started to have contact, maybe not even quite by then, because that was that was a, a very dramatic day um, where, you know, John Fanisto was there, got detained for that day, didn't get arrested, but was detained yes. for that day for turning and trying to serve communion uh, through the fence. So what... what uh, what you saw as protests, we didn't necessarily see as protests. We saw as prayer. We saw as as taking our faith into a space that would highlight how very uh, real uh, prayer and communion are for even in the political context. I remember it well. Very challenging time for me because mm. uh, my religious beliefs are very well established, and I'm I get it to a certain extent. But I was watching from my perspective uh, and reading about because I didn't realize all of it right at first 
um, communion used as a form of protest. And it wasn't, I do not believe, I still don't believe that that was the intent at, at the time. But from my perspective, that's, that's how mm. I saw it being used. So that, that upped the ante for me. And, yeah. and to kind of close the story on how we met, I had to kind of step out of my role because my role as an assistant chief very cleanly was to make sure law and order is established, make sure nobody basically goes into that, that, that new no trespassing area and make sure that my guys, uh, the agents out there, handle themselves professionally. But now I had a little bit of an ethical dilemma. Mm. Um, I had people that go to my own church that have the same exact beliefs as I have, looking mm-hmm. at the situation the same as I, or looking at the same situation and, and seeing something totally different. Yeah. Um, so I prayed about it. I don't. I think it was probably a couple of weeks from that initial event until I uh, called you up and asked if we could meet for some coffee. And it was great. We had one of the pastors at uh, First Church connect us, and even as you're trying to reach out, reach out to me and said, "Hey, you need to meet this uh, this parishioner of ours, this friend of ours. You know, Rod Scott, uh, been with the church a long time, and uh, um, I'd already one of I, I go to." Uh, another Nazarene church across the way, Mission Church. You know, that's the church where I think First Church folks say, uh, "Don't let friends drive your son to, out to mission." Is this something like that? Uh, friends don't let friends <laughs> go to go mission. To, yeah. Is that what it is? Um, and and people out mission say, "Friends don't let friends go to First, first church, church." Something like that. Um, that's what how our kids joke about it. Um, but um, one of my uh, fellow congregants out at Mission, uh, it works for uh, the Parks as one of the parks rangers out at Borderfield State Park. And uh, so was able to get to know some of the law enforcement out there, the parks ranger enforcement. And along the way, um, got to be some friends at a distance with some of the agents. So when we got to meet, it was it was actually, a, I think, a gift um, because there's there uh, some people um, paint the work that we've done down at the border as activists. And I think there were some activists there, but I think of the work that we do there and crossing the border, we're doing border pilgrimages since 2001, um, going uh, back and forth with folks talking about these things. And I think of it, about it not as activists, but as Christian discernment, as pilgrimage. Um, and to get to know that you and other Christian agents are um, uh, in the midst that we can have a real conversation with. It opened up a lot of uh, possibilities. It also opened up great, um, I would say, discipleship for our students um, and for those that are going with us, uh, not allowing them to demonize folks or create these these uh, chasms, these canyons uh, between us and them that, you know, uh, in this conversation. So um, not that it's necessarily easy crossing this bridge we're trying to cross, but the fact that I know that you and I are following the same Jesus, that we have this deep history in the church that has raised us. We have some common, maybe some common, maybe some uncommon disagreements with our own church in the middle of this, right? <laughs> yeah. Would you, would you, so we, can, yeah. we don't have to go there, but, <laughs> um, but here's where, you know, we start to have coffee and now when I do have activists chirping my ear in demonizing kind of ways, I say, well, come on, folks. Let's remember that this is Rodney. This is, uh, you know, John, who's the Border Patrol agent. And, and we start there and say, okay, whatever outcome here, nobody's yeah, and I think that evil made, in the midst of this sorry, in that I, sense. I think that made the big difference because nothing worth doing is usually easy, right? Right. 
So, and, and I referred a minute ago to the crazies, and that's from sitting up on the hill, you could kind of discern that there were pockets of the, what I call them crazies, maybe you would call them like activists. Um, they were kind of, I, I don't know what their motivations were. You know, I don't really have a good conversation with them to this day, um, but there's always middle ground. And that's what I saw. That's what yeah. we've been able to build with with you. That's what we've been able to build with with the university, bringing people down there, is have that dialogue and have those conversations. And and, and we we joke. We don't agree on everything, um, but when you but we have the same foundational uh, guidance. We have the same ultimate goal. We have the same Christian beliefs. Um, we just have different different methods to get there. So I think. The conversation, I'm just thinking of things that came out of that conversation, too, that the Friends of Friendship Park group right. where we could sit down. And, and there's right. a couple of activists on that group. Sure. But but the context of it kind of keeps them in check. It keeps things realistic where we you don't insult each other. You, you have adult well, we, conversations. We joined that Friends of Friendship Park group to help that space that has historically been a space uh, where families have met across what used to be a barbed wire and now is much more than that. Um, and I think our friendship actually helped behind the scenes as the two different teams, as we're sitting really at opposite sides of a table, you're at the opposite side of the table from what I'm at and vice versa. Um, we actually made some progress there, I think, on both sides. I don't... Uh, oh, I would agree Border fully. Patrol wasn't yeah. given an inch and had all the rights and all the laws in their favor, but... I think you're, you and some of the other uh, administrators there who saw this as an important opportunity for um, doing something more public and humane and public relations maybe was in their language. I don't know yeah. how you thought about it, but there was there's now a 60-foot rolling fence that allows the La Posada Sin Fronteras that we do every Christmas time, bringing families together for a major Christian event that happens every year. And and I think in part because of you speaking into my perception, is you speaking into the administration's ear saying, no, these folks are trustworthy. This is this is a religious event. This is something that, you know, it, it's become kind of the Border Patrol's favorite event uh, that they see as, and, and yet I still see that event as as subversive, as creating an imagination of a world that, that that looks very different than what it looks down at the border right now. So when I met you, Jamie, obviously you're a professor at Point Loma University. We've got this border issue. So what was your calling? How did you get involved in in these types of issues from your perspective or th this angle? So I was invited to come and interview at Point Loma while I was still doing my dissertation research in cultural anthropology in South Africa. Um, I had been raised in South Africa as a missionary kid, and my dissertation research, my growing up years in South Africa, kind of led me to study race relations, uh, race and economics in particular, and in the new South Africa, how things were changing. Um, but to be honest, as a missionary kid that grew up as an immigrant uh, with a U.S. passport in South Africa, knowing the vulnerabilities of being an immigrant, knowing how... Uh, dicey it was if we did anything that was out of line uh, in South Africa, but knowing that I was a sort of a privileged immigrant, I was a, a white immigrant in a country that apartheid privileged people who were white, it wasn't quite like what we found in the in the states. But I did come back to the states for college and graduate school, and 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 saw a level of borders and boundaries and race relations that mirrored what I experienced in South Africa, just with different dynamics. So. 
my my calling began to grow in college and in, in graduate school uh, really from a sociological perspective I did some seminary work that that dug into that theologically as well when Point Loma called and said hey we want you to come out and and uh, there's a position that will be part-time teaching and part-time helping the university think through the Wesleyan commitment uh, to the poor and to those that are marginalized and uh, and we we dreamt up the Center for Justice and Reconciliation uh, a couple years into being hired at Point Loma that was the start of it and uh, I'm kind of curious about the same thing how did you how did your calling grow into where you are now? So I wouldn't say it was intentional, and I would have to kind of do what you just did and go all the way back. So I was an Indiana farm kid growing up till I was 16, um, Midwest, Bible Belt, grew up Nazarene, uh, grandfather was a Nazarene pastor, dad was a song evangelist. So I got you drunk. all called on the holiness, you know, yeah. growing up, just as I am, knees hit the all altar the a bunch of different times. Yep, uh-huh. exactly, and pretty much every small church in Indiana, Illinois, and sometimes Kentucky. Um so, so I think I got, I kind of get, God set me up for stuff I had no idea I was seeing. So that's mm-hmm. kind of what I'll kind of jump ahead. But mm-hmm. uh, when I was 16, we ended up moving to Arizona, uh, Nogales, Arizona, right on the border. I went from a suburban, uh, pretty much all white high school in, in Indiana. And then I'm one of like two or three white kids in Nogales High School. Um, it's an open campus. We're driving into Mexico to eat lunch every day. My dad actually worked in Mexico for, for 18 years. Uh, so crossing back and forth across the border, going down to San Carlos, Wymus. Um, 99% of my friends are, are Hispanic now. Um, and, and it's fine. But I learned about the Border Patrol. I'm an outdoors type of person looking for careers long term. Mm-hmm. I'm probably a little bit more on the wild side, if you will. So I kind of just was attracted to things, a little bit of action. Um, I was going through a hard time before mm-hmm. I got into the Border Patrol. Um, and in prayer, a very clear voice said to me, kind of like chill out I've got it mm-hmm. I have good plans for you and it was very it just peace kind of came over me and, and the, everything didn't Jeremiah happen 29 overnight. moment there yeah exactly mm-hmm. hey everybody I just wanted to interrupt this episode to remind you that it is made possible by Christianity Today magazine Christianity Today magazine offers redemptive yet honest coverage of the people events and ideas shaping our church and our culture. As a subscriber each year, you'll get 10 award-winning print issues, tablet PDF versions of each issue, access to ChristianityToday.com, and archives dating back to 1956. We set up a special page for those of you listening that will allow you to get a discounted subscription, plus a bonus download created especially for our podcast listeners. You can only get that deal at OrderCD.com slash The Calling. That's OrderCT.com slash The Calling. Just head over to orderct.com slash the calling to subscribe. By doing so, you will be supporting thoughtful, essential journalism and helping us to continue to produce episodes of this show, The Calling, every other week. So everything didn't work out immediately, but uh, I ended up joining the Border Patrol. Um, I have a good career. I got sent to San Diego. And by the way, the Border Patrol, when I joined, part of the reason is because I have a fundamental desire or need to do good um border Mm -hmm. patrol in arizona at that point in time was a narcotics enforcement organization immigration wasn't on the national radar it wasn't really talked about that much Mm -hmm. um at least not in arizona for for that matter so you were going to stem stem the tide of 
of narcotics Drugs. thrown into the United States and mm -hmm. just enforce federal law. Law enforcement's a good, honorable job. I was raised very much, uh, you know, serving the public, serving your community, serving the countries intertwined mm -hmm. uh, with my religious beliefs. They were very much in lockstep. The core values of the organizations were in lockstep with my Christian beliefs, so I'm good to go. So I joined, and they sent me to San Diego, California, which I kind of wanted to be out in the middle of nowhere, but it is what it is. God had a better plan. And I showed up in San Ysidro the very first night and stayed at the Americana Hotel. That's where they told us to stay. And there were helicopters flying over my head. There were Border Patrol vehicles flying up the highway. There were hundreds, hundreds of people in the middle of the interstate walking mm -hmm. north. And uh, myself and a couple of the other classmates were like, wow, there must have been this big incident. And then we quickly realized that was just the normal life here in San Diego, that, that, that you know, there was a huge immigration problem here. And that's the first time I really realized the big role here, there was really not a lot of narcotics enforcement for Border Patrol. Border mm -hmm. Patrol, different parts of the country had different missions based on kind of what the threat was. Um, anyway, fast forward again, all the way up past 9-11. Um, mm -hmm. I'm just doing my Border Patrol career. I end up back in Arizona, which is where I wanted to be. And in 2003, when Customs and Border Protection was formed, mm -hmm. I, I really don't know why. That was the year back. of the realignment of, the realignment, all of Homeland work, Security. Yeah. Homeland Security got created, Immigration Naturalization Service Border Patrol mm -hmm. got pulled out, became mm -hmm. part of Customs and Border Protection. I got pulled up to headquarters, uh, Border Patrol, which was, I was a second-level uh, supervisor. All the way to D.C.? All the way to D.C. Mm -hmm. So I was a second-level supervisor. That was a pretty big jump. Got some assignments, started having my opinion included heard, in discussions huh? and mm -hmm. heard at, at levels that I I used to laugh walking out like how, how did I just get into that meeting or why are they asking me mm -hmm. um, got exposed to a lot of information that I really didn't ever really look at before about all the threats that this country faces if you will mm -hmm. so there were times in my career I pray about it or whatever and I'd feel like okay because I, I didn't like DC by the way I'm a country boy yeah. I don't I don't like concrete jungle I don't really like the politics but I got reassured over and over again in prayer that you're right where I want you. You're right where I want you. Um, next thing I knew, I was back in San Diego. And that's the time that we met. Yeah. So then yeah. almost overnight, I find myself kind of embedded in this border immigration. It's immigration issues. Even though Border Patrol is much yeah. more than immigration, for this context, it was immigration. Um, and there are issues that are much bigger than your job or my job combined, you know, happening right correct. here in San and, Diego, all related. And I didn't, like you, I didn't like a lot of the dialogue that was going on. Mm -hmm. A lot of it was polarizing, um, even within my own realm. And it's a government organization, so not everybody's a Christian. And, right. And there's a separation of church and state you have to be very cautious of. So I'm listening to guys even on my side that they would... Uh, go a little farther than I would on some border security issues or maybe not have as much grace in a conversation. And then I'm seeing the other side, religious leaders that normally I'm on a Sunday completely aligned with, arguing for things that just don't make sense to me, uh, how mm -hmm. the world operates and the real world operates. And I found myself embedded in that conversation with you, and I found myself growing. Mm -hmm. um, and then without getting into specifics, I look back now, and we do. We have a 60-foot sliding gate that some of my employees when I was here weren't real fond of. Uh, we have another smaller gate, as you know, and, and that specifically that Borderfield State Park area that, that's open every single weekend where people can come and not just say hi to people in Mexico, but they can learn why does this exist. We have an agent there every Saturday and Sunday explaining and talking to the community. And, and I honestly, not to pat myself on the back, because this isn't me, it's about God, but I believe that that's kind of why I was there mm -hmm. at that point in time. So my calling, if you will, it's not 
it's not just to be a border patrol agent, but it's within the way that I was raised to be that impassioned, integrity-based yeah. leader where God puts me. And God put me in as then I moved up to the deputy chief and then now, of course, the chief in El Centro is yeah. to have these conversations and infuse infuse grace while maintaining the law. Yeah. Well, I guess if, I, if there was a phrase that kind of captures my calling, um, that in the last, particularly the last eight or ten years has become clearer and even more clear, it's nurturing the prophetic imagination. And uh, by prophetic, uh, I do mean all the way back to Jeremiah and Isaiah and Amos and 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 uh, seeing the God who cares most specifically and maybe even judges entire nations and judges our own actions in the world by by the, how much we care for the widow and the orphan and the stranger in our midst. I know you and I interpret how that plays out differently, um, but in the in that calling to you know what are the prophetic places and spaces that the church needs to step in. There's a there's maybe a priestly function to the to the church, but there's also a prophetic function to the church. And and where where the widow and the orphan and the stranger are most at risk and most vulnerable, church should be standing there and present there and and uh, when folks are hurting, cry out with them. And uh, in that in that larger calling it seems uh, immigration was just I was just drawn into it here you know worker justice here immigration and we can talk a little bit about human trafficking how that's brought our us into a much different level of conversation as well i would venture to guess that most nazarenes uh think about the relationship between their faith and law or the faith and law enforcement as a fairly um uh simple marriage that those two things go together rather easily the laws of a country uh are mostly good and just um but i grew up in south africa where i was in church with good Christian people who had, uh, we were singing worship songs with, who were white and shooting our black brothers and sisters on the weekends because that was their job, but not being critical about their job, not thinking through the ways in which there's this sort of structural way in which we get caught up in, in, in um, I would say, sinful structures. Um, we often, Nazarenes and evangelicals, I think in general, like to think about the personal choices we make, but we don't think a lot about the structural sins that we're caught up in and, and a part of. And I think as large as, you know, coming back as a missionary kid from South Africa, even even this neat tie between Christianity and citizenship in any particular nation, to me, or being an American and being Christian, we were talking about this at a church the other night, I find myself really, it's that it's really important that I identify myself as a Christian before any other identity, whether I'm South African or American or Democrat or Republican or whatever else, or middle class or white or, or Latino or Latina, um, it seems like it seems like. But that means something really important when it comes to these kind of issues. So when I think of living in San Diego, I think if I'm going to vote on any policies or I'm going to think about any economic practices, I've got to think about what does it mean for me to be a Christian in San Diego, Tijuana. So I don't live in San Diego. I live in San Diego, Tijuana. It's this, you know, six million plus uh, person city with a living, breathing border in between. That has like, you know, 350,000 people a day crossing over 20 million people. I think uh, we've, we've learned from you that, Rod, that, 
you know, over 20 million people in a year are, are crossing this space. I've, I've gained a lot of respect for the role that you have in helping to make sure that, that those crossings uh, are safe and that, there's, that, there's, that, the, that the amount of damage that people can do illegally and with, with drugs and, and, and abuse of one another is, 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 is a very strong reality that needs to be controlled. But there's also the vast majority of folks aren't that uh, along the way. Your job demands that you control for the worst possibilities. And uh, I think uh, my calling is to live in such a way that the church can live across this space and in this, this geography um, with the least amount of damage to the kingdom. And sometimes that means looking at the laws and looking at the way that laws are enforced and calling them out for not being like the path. Like is the, is the path to immigration, the path to citizenship a just path? I, th I don't think it's a just path in the, in the U.S. right now. It, um, is the, de the ways in which we deport people or, or detain people or who we choose to detain? We should be able to speak into those things. And I don't, uh, I don't, uh, so I, and, and, and so when, you know, when we're pushing you and the administration to think differently about that fence, it's about, it is, as you say, more about the way we, see the world and the way we live in the world and I, I think we do have different theologies uh when it comes to thinking about um the relationship between our citizenship and our faith yeah I, I... god is a genius storyteller and the evidence of this is threaded throughout scripture in christianity today's new show holy curiosity with me kat armstrong we explore storied connections threaded throughout scripture from the old testament to the new our first miniseries, Connecting Dinah and the Woman at the Well, welcomes experts like Drs. Tim Mackey and Diane Landberg to give us insight and context into the physical location and meaning of these two stories. These stories will spark holy curiosity in your own faith, because once you see these connections, you can't unsee them. God wastes no person, place, or thing. Listen and subscribe to Holy Curiosity with Kat Armstrong on your favorite podcast platform. It, we do, but it's not where you started, right? And we've had this conversation. I agree with everything you said. It's just that when we get to the decision point of how to apply that, that's where that's where I separate a little bit. But I think, and I'm a realist, I always try to I think the local church actually helps me out a lot with this about just discussion and everything else. I try to, to get some confirmation, right? But because I was born and raised in the Midwest, the United States flag and the Christian flag were very much the same thing. It was part of, and it is just part of me, it's 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 woven into me yeah. that, that that United States flag mm -hmm. was really built and, and it was created because people were fighting for religious freedoms. They were fighting for other freedoms, but that was, to me, it was entwined in the religious freedom. The reason I can go to church every Sunday, the reason I can take communion, the reason you could go to the fence and even kind of challenge my guys, right, and then serving communion through the fence, and yeah, we detained you, but we didn't arrest anybody, um, was because of the American flag. But I had to look at that and go, I'm not just automatically you know, aligned with the American flag. I have my Christian values first and foremost as well, and then when I, and again, this is how I interpret it, how, uh, how I deal with the tension, because every time we have these conversations, I go back and kind of reflect a little bit, right, and make sure, am I, am I nuts? Mm. Is this just me or is this God yeah, type yeah. of thing? Um, I see our law is totally different. 
But I, but you even brought up at church the other day. I get to see, unfortunately, and everybody in law enforcement in right. general, we get to see people at their worst. Not necessarily the worst people, although we get to see that a little bit too, but I really like sure. the way you said it, that we get to see people at their worst. That's right. And my calling is to protect and serve the citizens of the United States. Right. That, that's that's my calling. I'm not the world global Border Patrol. God didn't put me there. He put me as a U.S. Border Patrol agent and then as a senior executive in the Border Patrol, right? That That's my calling without hurting the other thing, though. Yeah. So I look at it, and we talked a little bit about this, too, that, that you— you chose to look at San Diego and Tijuana as your regional area. That was a choice. Some people choose to look at their gated community as their little regional area. Other people choose to look at the whole world as theirs. My calling is to the United States. That doesn't mean I have no responsibilities to Mexico and everything else. But then, you, you I, and good or bad, in law enforcement, it does have to get a little bit sterile sometimes. I have to back off, and this is some of the tension. Yeah. And look at the law. Take the person out of sure. it for a minute and look at fundamentally step-by-step step, is the law consistent with biblical principles? Is the law consistent and just? And then apply it. And inevitably, though, it's going to be applied to a human being. So once emotions get involved, if you will, yeah, it, it gets a lot more difficult. But I look, I, I couldn't do this job if I didn't believe that the laws of this country were just and true. Sure. And without some type of enforcement... I can't protect yeah. your family, and that's kind of what my calling that my calling is. But, but the tension rises the minute you involve a human being, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, early in my career, uh, it's a silly story, but early in my career, Tijuana River chasing after a group of illegal aliens. And back then, by the way, ninety percent of the people we caught, they would just be comp- once you, you caught you them. You call them illegal aliens. I'll call them undocumented migrants. Is that all right? So that's funny. That's another term. Yeah. So illegal alien is a legal term. Period. And, An undocumented immigrant is a acceptable. But term. it also it's may not, be a good evidence that our our laws might have some holes in them that need to change, right? I, I would disagree. Right. Only because you get to read into the word. So alien by definition is just somebody in a place where they don't exist. Alien is mm-hmm. used in some terms in the Bible. Foreigners. The term alien. Yeah, but in the law and in the history book is also Operation Wetback, which is Correct. you know language that is that is antiquated and actually like cussing, you know. It's like Correct. language that is nasty. So it's cool. can we agree? And so that that's can we say though, can right? we say that there's language embedded in our laws that are that are, you know, nasty? I wouldn't go that far. I would yeah. I would agree that language is cultural and what a swear word is is cultural. There's no list in the Bible, right? So as culture changes, yeah. just like the King James Version versus the message, sure. how you relay, as long as you're consistent. Except when dehumanizing language gets embedded in the law, it's no longer cultural. Now it's structural. Now it's now it's forcing a particular perspective. And you, you have no choice at some level but to use that language because that's the language in the law. But it's still dehumanizing language. And it's still gives a particular perspective so this, this to everybody else. this is a great else. example, though, of where where we just see something differently. Mm-hmm. To me, it's not dehumanizing in any way, shape, or form. So, Rod, uh, one of the reasons I find this conversation and our relationship so important, and I mean this from the deepest part of my faith, is I really do believe that a number one calling of a Christian body, of, of a Christian gathering, an ecclesia, is to figure out how to be reconciled to one another as a witness to the reconciling power of Christ in the world. 
And uh, if we can't figure this out, um, the church, the body of Christ, has little, few legs to stand on in preaching and teaching that we are called to be ambassadors of reconciliation. So, um, you know, uh, there's, there's some real profound things that we disagree on, uh, and at, at maybe even a level that, that we don't fully understand yet. And I'm learning things in the conversation even today. Um, so I'm wondering as well, um, why, is this important? why is this conversation important to you? It's important to me for a bunch of reasons. One, I don't know everything. And I, I've, I've, I was taught this from, from birth, I think, to a certain extent, the way just I, my dad and my mom interacted with me. But I've always been taught to, to, because of what you said earlier, I don't remember exactly how you said it, kind of getting caught up in your own systems and getting, getting influenced by your culture. That, mm-hmm. That's just human nature. Cultures have existed since the beginning of time for a reason, right? Because people kind of get caught up. They're attracted to certain pockets or whatever. Um, I want to challenge myself. So I, especially when I see somebody else, and this is a great circumstance, and I think we debate more than most probably, right? But mm. you see somebody that has your same fundamental beliefs, and you look at them and you believe it. So a big part of my job, 25 years of being a law enforcement officer, I've learned to look in people's eyes. I like I don't really pay attention to what people say to me a lot of times. Right. The words I look and just see that they're being honest with me. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you're honest. Mm-hmm. I know that the beliefs that you have and how you're choosing to action those beliefs is from a pure heart and you want to help people and you're acting on your Christian beliefs. So then I step back and go, Okay, well, but we ended up in a completely different area, and at a certain point in time, like, I was going to arrest you, like, right. that much of a different yeah. area, right? Yeah, yeah. So, how did we start I was hoping out? to get arrested. What do you I mean? Know, why why I didn't did, you? That's why I didn't do it. Exactly. That's so, what I thought. So, that's why I didn't have my guys do it. <laughs> so, I look at it from that perspective, like, how did we start out in the same place and end up in totally different mm-hmm. uh, areas? That's why I like the, the discussion. You've been listening to The Calling. Jamie Gates is the director for the Center of Justice and Reconciliation and a professor at Point Loma University. Rodney Scott is a chief patrol agent for the U.S. Border Patrol in the El Centro sector. The book, Mending the Divides, Creative Love in a Conflicted World, is available now. It's by Gerald Swaggart and John Huckins. Special thanks to them and InterVarsity Press for setting up this podcast. Remember to rate and review the show on iTunes. It helps us a lot. The Calling is produced by Jonathan Clausen, uh, Morgan Lee, and me. Theme music by Lee Rosevere, used under Creative Commons 4.0. This episode was brought to you in part by the audio adventure series, Discovery Mountain. Help your kids fall in love with the Bible. Each true-to-life adventure story will draw them closer to Jesus. Visit discoverymountain.com CT.